0: Hello and welcome to the PR Moment India podcast. For episode three, we have with us Leslie Cafferty, the Chief Communication Officer of Booking Holdings. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Leslie, in one of the interviews that uh, you'd given, you'd mentioned in that that the leadership uh, at uh, Booking Holdings consults communication teams a lot uh, before making any decisions. And uh, that's definitely not the norm in India maybe with a few isolated cases, but it's not the norm. What does it take to develop that kind of trust? And uh, what can Indian uh, professionals learn from your experience?
1: Sure, I I would say, you know, it's definitely a journey. Um, I think there is an education process along the way, right? You have to sort of establish credibility. But I think, you know, when we think about communications, you know, oftentimes people think of outward communication and what we're saying, but there's really two sides to it. And our job is to listen and it's to listen to our employees and it's to listen to the world that we're living in, right? What is... What is cultural sentiment? What is political sentiment? What is, you know, what's happening in the world? How are, you know, what is society feeling and hearing? And our job is to listen to that and then report that back to the business. So, you know, the business is focused on obviously running the business and making commercial decisions or thinking about how to optimize, you know, different KPIs, not necessarily always thinking about the possible repercussions of any decisions that they make. So I think over the years, honestly, we've just had some learnings where the business makes a decision, not really thinking at all about, you know, will there be any repercussions from this? And, you know, moments where we've come back and said, well, you know, had you kind of let us know, we could have told you, we could have spotted that risk. And so, you know, it's building up that relationship and establishing that credibility with your leaders to let them make sure they understand that we are the eyes and ears to the ground and we can give them advice. And even some things like as simple as, you know, the timing of a certain decision where, you know, they may not realize that doing something at one time versus another time can have a significant impact. So I think it's it's definitely a journey, but um, it, it's, I think
0: it's important. So just, if I could just uh, delve deeper into this question, how does the structure work uh, uh, in India? There are a couple of people who report directly to the CEO, but very likely they'll report to the marketing head or the CMO. So how much does the structure play a role in uh, in having the kind of access that you require? And how much is on, of course, like you said, build the traffic uh, communicators, how much do they need to learn and deep dive about the business itself? Yes, I think reporting structure
1: plays a huge role, um, and having that direct access to the CEO is definitely important. Um, and that's how we're structured uh, at Booking Holdings, um, and I think it's important for one because you have a clear direct seat at that table, right? You're you're in those conversations, but it's also important because you know w- communications experts need to serve you know as. Guidance for CEOs and leaders as well, personally, in addition to thinking and looking out for the company. So, I think, you know, I have found, and and I do agree with you, oftentimes you will see the function sitting within marketing. um, And I guess it really, you know, how effective that can be will depend on the experience of who the head of marketing is at the time. If they really truly understand communications, it can work because they can consult with you, they can sort of spot and smell the risks. But if their background is purely in, you know, advertising and they really don't understand how the media works, you know, what sensitivities are, how things can be perceived, even if said a certain way, then you do have a bit of struggle. So I think one of the things that I've noticed, um, COVID really had an impact uh, on reporting lines and structure for communications functions, at least from what I've seen I think I've seen a lot more when companies were dealing with such crisis, they kind of recognized the importance, everything they were saying to their employees, what they were saying to the investors, etc. So I did notice and I see now when I talk to other companies, I hear more frequently than I did pre-COVID that the structure of communications does report into the CEO.
0: Yes, that, that change we saw in India as well, greater trust uh, from the top uh, leadership, especially when internal uh, messages are concerned, uh, dealing yeah. with employees, etc. Um, yes. Coming to, uh, continuing with this uh, discussion, the, the role of women in uh, in communications. In India, of course, uh, the majority of uh, the staff is very much women, and it's a great uh, great thing to have that kind of participation. But it becomes uh, skewed when you come to leadership, and it's a very clear split between corporate communication, where you have uh, the majority of women leaders, but in agencies, very few agencies have uh, the top leaders as women. Uh, This includes the international agencies which are present. So given uh, this kind of uh, skew, uh, since this is a topic you're passionate about, how does one really go about uh, improving participation without it being uh, just a token uh, equity kind of thing
1: absolutely and indeed um a passion a topic i'm very passionate about i think it really depends i mean first first things first there has to be appetite for it so if there's not whether that's a cultural issue or a personal issue with someone, you know, that that's impossible to tell, but there has to be appetite and desire to want to affect change within an organization or within a leadership team. So that's first and foremost. Um, if, if your leadership team doesn't have it, I would say that's probably not a company I would want to work for, but assuming that is there, I think the next step a company has to look at is the data. You need to understand why is this the case? And I think data is incredibly important. So is it because, In totality, you're not the a company is not hiring women from the outset. Is it that you're seeing at a certain level there's a drop-off or attrition rate for women in the company? So you really have to look at your data and understand where the problem is. And then you need to make concerted efforts and changes to solve for those problems. So for example, if it's because you know, you're looking at total hiring and you're only hiring 20% females and then 80% men, well, there's your problem, right? So you need to change your hiring practices and you need to have more diverse candidate pool and you need to do things like that. If it's because you're seeing uh, attrition drop off at a certain mid-level, say, which is not uncommon for many companies in many industries, how do you solve for that? So how do you make, whether that's investing in better work-life balance uh, for women is investing in training and development. Um, You know, when you're looking agency side versus sort of in-house and corporate communications, you're doing communications, but you're also running a business, right? So there has to be business acumen. If women don't have the business skills, well, you should invest in sending them to business programs or putting them into business school. So you have to look at where you see the problem along the journey and then try to come up with ways for solving for that. Um, I think it's, but it all starts with the appetite and the desire to do so. And if, if that's not there, then that's the biggest problem, but otherwise invest in that, you know, at the top, that's a very demanding job, right? And oftentimes women are the primary caretakers of children if, if they have children uh, and that can put a big burden. So how do you accommodate for uh, a woman who may have children or may have other care caretaker needs in her life uh to also do a demanding job so do you accommodate um child care or do you subsidize you know um care for women and there are things you can do but it really comes down to i think it's important to identify the source of the problem in order to really come up with with solutions to solve for it
0: you're very right and in asian cultures like india there are two specific issues one is child care one is elder care so they are expected to also look after the parents, in laws, the whole whole the whole range, and COVID was actually specifically difficult on women professionals because they didn't actually have any escape from the whole uh, getting away to office and getting a break. So, uh, so what uh, what there are companies like uh, Havas, the French uh, PR firm, communication firm, they are actually measuring month to month with trackers. So, uh, do you think uh, finally that's uh, like of course we did mention data. But uh, the tracking of it is is also extremely important.
1: Yes, we are a very data-driven company across the business, and that includes all functions, including our people function, which looks at the data uh, all the time. So we run monthly, quarterly, annual reports looking at the data. And to, to do exactly that, we identify the problems. What are we seeing? Where are we seeing the drop-offs? Are we not seeing you know enough women being put up for promotion by their managers. That is an example of an issue we've seen in the past. So we look at that and then really try to course correct for how to solve for particular problems. But it's it's absolutely critical because the way you solve for is very, very dependent on where you're spotting the issue to make it as effective as possible.
0: One final question on this series of uh, uh, thoughts. Um, there's a lot of uh, discussion that uh, PR folks don't get their representation at the board level they're perfectly intelligent, perfectly suitable people. Why do you think that happens?
1: That's a great question. Um, and I think, you know, historically, business, you know, business leaders thought of, you know, the, the, the stakeholder base is much bigger now than it has been historically, you know, CEOs used to think about their investors and their shareholder returns. And so you built a board that was consisted of experts who knew how to return value to shareholders. That's a a very important part of business, of course. But now if you look across the board, the expectations, the stakeholders that any company has to um, take into account vary much more widely. Employees are much more vocal than they used to be in the past. You look at major tech companies, you have strikes and um, walkouts and, you know, they're, they're things business leaders didn't have to think about before. Um, there are expectations among society and employees for businesses to take a stance on political or societal issues, whether or not you do that, that's up to an individual company and their strategy, but the pressures and the stakeholders have grown immensely. And so if you have a board that consists only of people who are experts at, you know, they're running their PL, they're not going to be able to give great advice uh, in situations of crisis. So I think we are seeing it's not enough, but we are seeing a bit more want, need and understanding for counsel in crisis situations. Um, in, and and you can't, you know, major companies have crises on a daily basis and that it's no longer acceptable to sort of ignore them, ignore these stakeholders and just focus on your investors. So I hope uh, this is a trend that we'll continue to see.
0: It's a great insight. Well, as as, uh, as the demands are changing, there is a great, greater scope for communicators to be at the board level Uh, You also speak a lot about innovation and uh, digital, uh, the use of digital platforms for communication. It can get overwhelming, especially when you look at the way AI and we've had some examples of deep fakes here as well. Uh, Given all that, is it being, are we overthinking um, the use of AI in communications? What is a sensible way to look at technology and innovation? I wish I
1: had a great answer for you. Um, I don't think anybody does. I mean, the way we're thinking about it. On the one hand, this technology. There's no doubt this technology will change many things in the world. That is that is a certainty. And so, if you don't innovate, you die. So we have to be at the forefront of understanding this technology. And so, as a communications team, now that's a bit where we are in the journey. We're trying to understand what are the capabilities. Where could we possibly deploy this? What are the risks that are associated with it? Are there other aspects just from, you know, not even just but for the, the communicating part, but the tracking and the measurements of things? Are there ways we can use it? So we're in the education process now. And I would say early, early testing process. That said, um, I think there's a few principles that we are as we think about and test. There are a few principles that I at least encourage our team to abide by. Um, One is transparency. You know, we're writing, we're a public company. Everything we say can be scrutinized, right? And, And we can be in real trouble if we're saying something that's not true, that's not accurate. So if and when our teams are testing with AI, that has to be disclosed. So if anything we've put together, whether it's graphics or any type of writing that we've used AI technology, that has to be disclosed. And we have to look at that very carefully. And the company also provides guidelines and parameters within which we can test. But I think right now it's too early to say when and how. I mean, as a as a communicator at heart, I can't I can't fathom the notion of not being able to write and express and having a machine do that all, but I have no idea, right? So it really will, time will tell, but I do think it's important not to ignore it and to sort of be at the forefront of understanding it.
0: Um, what happened with OpenAI in the last uh, 10 days or so, the whole clash between long-termism and uh, the profit motive, so to speak. Uh, do you think this is going to be uh, it's not something which will get solved in our life in our lifetime, this kind of conflict between uh, the ethical use of AI and also making sure there is enough AI to support people in what way it's possible? Uh, especially in vaccine developments, a lot of AI was used. So uh, what is uh, your opinion about, uh, at what point do you, not easy to say, but at what point do you say this is ethical AI and this is not?
1: i think that is time will tell um the technology is evolving so quickly it's going to require and this will be challenging what it will take is really a, a global response to regulation right and so it's you have a lot of governments and countries looking at this right now and with the with good intent right to ensure ethical ai exists but That's a subjective conversation and laws and rules are different in places. There may be different objectives of countries or companies or governments. Um, And if you have, you know, as a global company facing regulation on other fronts, many other topics, inconsistent regulation is is not good. So if you have 90 percent of the world that has come to an agreement on what ethical AI is and 10 percent doesn't, that's not going to be so. Uh, but the last time I've seen the entire world you know, cooperate quickly and effectively, um, I don't know. So it, it could take some time. But I do think it's important. And I do appreciate the fact that governments are looking at this and it, I think understanding the power and the need to move quickly. And I hope that's the case. Uh,
0: it's a question no one really has an answer for at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to the end of the podcast and the last few questions are some of them a bit of a personal nature. Uh, what is your favorite uh, communication moment of the, uh, of the year? It could be a campaign, it could be uh, an individual communicating who, who you felt did a great job. So uh, what's your big moment of the year? Uh, my favorite? Well, it, it's, it
1: sounds kind of strange, I would say, you know, uh, my my personal favorite moments and the times where I learn the most come in sort of crisis moments that could be a small crisis or bigger crisis, an issue that you haven't seen before. you know, to execute a sort of consumer. A PR campaign, there are recipes and formulas and tactics to do that well. Um, so for me, the challenge comes when you face a situation that you've never faced before. And what do you say? How do you react? And so, you know, there were a few this year. I mean, AI is one example. You know, what do we say as a company about this technology? How, you know, how much of a point of view do we want to have out there? We, You know, war happened. Um how do we, how do we talk about that? How we deal with our employees and their emotions. So these instances and things where you cannot have a crisis playbook because you don't know it's coming are personally my favorite in the sense that I don't mean, you know, I'm talking here in, in some respects, I've been mentioning more that's. Absolute tragedy, but the the personal gratification of trying to navigate communication in in a situation that you haven't done before is is personally very rewarding. But then I will have to throw a nod. I actually just this morning um, on a completely different level uh, got a note from my PR manager in India saying that a campaign we did for ICC Cricket, a PR campaign that they executed, just won an award. So uh, that was a very exciting moment. If I wanted to mention something on a bit of a brighter note
0: any non uh, a campaign not associated with booking holdings that you like it can be anything from super bowl or anything yeah i i think i don't look
1: i don't spend as much time looking at campaigns as i do maybe the, the corporate communication side of things and how companies deal with speaking out and of late um i mentioned recently in a conversation with someone else i was reading um Uh, an article about ed bastian who's the ceo of uh delta and i think he does this we're we're always uh, sort of walking this line of you know on issues um, that relate to our employees or more societal issues. What do we say or what do we not say? Do we take a stance do we not? And that that line is a very, you know, it's different for all companies. It's different for all leaders and CEOs personally, but it's something we think about a lot. And he comes to mind um, as just a great example of a CEO that I think has done a really nice job sort of taking a bit of a stance um, on societal issues at time, but also keeping it very connected to the core of the company and their mission. So um, that's not a campaign, but but that's a little bit where I spend my time you know, thinking about um, and learning and, and trying to admire and bring into our own team day to day.
0: Is it too much pressure on CEOs to be all things for all people to speak on every issue?
1: There is. There's absolutely a lot of pressure. And It's, uh, and it's hard sometimes because CEOs are people and they have opinions and passions too, and and things they might feel very passionate about. But how do you, how do you toe that line? Um, And there's no right answer when we think about it. We try to look and say, is this something that's really impacting it? Is it a topic that's really impacting our employees? Does it have to do with our industry in other words do we have a right to speak about something um but there's never a perfect solution and we try to sort of filter through those principles each time we look at it but it's it's absolutely the pressure is is immense people are looking to ceos the way they used to only look at governments to affect laws and societal change and regulation and many many other things
0: why do you think that shift is happening from uh, the shifting trust from government to ceos
1: the shift is there, and there's so much data to prove it. Why? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, well, I can speak, you know, I, I live in the US, I travel um, quite a bit, but I live in the US and and, you know, there's um, certain decisions that get made and people lose faith in, in governments, in, uh, in leaders. And when you see that happen, whether it's, and and it's a pendulum, right? There are times where, you know, people love governments, there are times where it's more, but if you, you know, you, you see it erode, um, the next best place to look for affecting change are large companies that have, you know, deep pockets and have the ability to influence. So I think it's just, if people are not happy with the status quo, that's the next kind of obvious place to look.
0: Uh, Last uh, two questions, Uh, Leslie, what is your personal uh, space? What do you do to decompress? Uh, You have a lot of passions and uh, at work and of course, a very busy schedule. So what do you do to decompress? Uh, There are two things and one of them sounds very
1: funny and people often look at me. Um, one, I do travel a lot. We're a global company. So I spend about 50% of my time on the road. And one of the ways to decompress is actually getting on a plane, which is something most people hate to do. Now, I'd say a plane that's on time, no delays, et cetera. But it's the only time my days are filled like everybody's with so many meetings and so many calls and so many. So it's actually just quiet space. And so whether I'm writing or even just reading a book, it's just quiet space. That's one way. Um, and then the other is cooking. I love to cook. And so when I end a day and you kind of, you know, you spend however many hours working, and you kind of have to transition into you know life mode it's very abrupt so I go to the kitchen and through the process of I slowly kind of take myself from that person to the 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 not work Leslie
0: what's your favorite dish to cook and the cliched question did you try Indian food
1: I love Indian food I actually challenged my husband um Last year to go vegetarian for a week, and I found because I think he eats too much meat. But um, I actually found that we were cooking Indian almost all the time, and it's so flavorful, so delicious. Um, My favorite thing to cook is actually just something new because I like the challenge of something new. So I have favorite dishes. I um, grew up in New Jersey in a very Italian neighborhood. I'm not Italian, but um, we learned to cook a lot of Italian food, so I do that quite a bit. But I love something new because it's a it's a
0: challenge. One final question, the last question of the podcast, how did you enter the communication field and what did you do with your first salary?
1: Uh, how did I enter was completely not planned. And by accident, I was graduated with a degree in international relations. And I thought maybe I would go to law school, some would say and including in my communication skills that I like to challenge and argue. So maybe that was the instinct to maybe want to go to law school. But while I was applying, I took a job, um, basically as a, a an assistant at a company answering phones and doing all of that because I had to pay my bills. Um, and an opening I I saw the company was in the news quite a bit and I was watching the communications team. and I didn't really know anything about it, but I found it really quite fascinating and a long story short an opening at a very junior level came up. I had to actually apply for it twice because the first time they told me they couldn't hire me, I had absolutely no communication skills. After the second time um, I did get the job. I I didn't make enough money to spend really any of it at the time. But once I did, the first thing I did was pay off my credit card bill from my college, my college debt.
0: That sounds familiar. (laughs) A lot of us did that. Credit cards just come in when we were in college. So yes, I can relate to that. Yes. (laughs) So thank you so much, uh, Leslie, for joining us. My big takeaway is actually what you said about how the stakeholders have become very complex and that might just create greater space for that, uh, you know, all important uh, seat at the board. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your trip in India. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you so much for
1: having me.